the Off The Ball Podcast Network. Hello and welcome. I'm Trina Foley and this is Off The Bench, a women's sport podcast which we hope will educate and entertain sports fans of all ages and genders. Uh, you can find all our previous iTunes, all our previous episodes rather on iTunes or uh, on the podcast link series in Off The Bench or Off The Ball. If you go into Off The ball.com or go on to their new app they have a new app uh, you'll see their podcast series link is there and if you pop in there you'll find off the bench and you'll find all our previous episodes sometimes we're uh, we have been uh, visual as well as audio and we've been on uh, the off the balls youtube channel but at the moment because of covid we're back to our classic uh, format i suppose which is audio only which we still love and um we're endeavoring to bring you good content on that as well so here we are um and our guest today is somebody who's an advocate, not just for the latest 20 by 20 campaign, which is no proving, just moving. We're going to talk about that, but also a very strong advocate for Black Lives Matter and anti-racism in Irish sport. And so very welcome to Off the Bench, Mimi Troy. Hello, thank you for having me. We're delighted to have you. Sorry, it's not in studio, but by the magic of oh, Zoom, okay. Mimi, here we are. Um, the latest element of uh, the Ireland's 20 by 20 campaign, which is a women's sports promotion campaign, is to encourage women to form a new and lasting exercise habit. But um, Mimi, you've been involved as a competitive basketball player all your life, so I thought you wouldn't have a problem uh, forming a habit for exercise. Yeah, um, so my dad originally came from America to Ireland, um, from New Jersey, he played professional over there. And he met my mom here. My mom played basketball as well, so they met through basketball. And they, uh, I guess, basketball kind of ran our genes then. So I probably started basketball about seven or eight. Um, I would have played for Colestia probably all my life. Played for Dublin, went on to play for Ireland. Um, I so basketball was was a huge part of my life. Um, I I went then on to play in my last year of school, in my senior year in high school in America. Um, hopefully you know then to get a basketball scholarship to college and soon after I left um to America my mom became quite ill with cancer so you know I'm a real home bird I'm a real mommy's girl so when I heard that I kind of just had to make the decision that you know there's more important things at, at that time um you know my sister was studying um to be a doctor at the time I had a younger brother my other brother was in South Africa um on a religious mission for two years so I kind of just said, you know what, this, this is me, this is basketball done for me. Um, I need to kind of, you know, go home and help out my mom and my little brother. So then, you know, she, she, she was in remission then after, after that. And I went back to college um, the year after in 2011. And, you know, I presented kind of again with the opportunity to get a basketball scholarship in, to Weber State. And again, I kind of found myself in that situation where I didn't want to be tied to something and, and be committed to something and then, you know, what if I missed out on something at home? And my mom was very much, you know, she wanted her girls to, to live their dreams and, and finish college, get their degree. And she never would, she never told us, you know, when her, her cancer would progress. Um, she, she never wanted to, to tell us to bring us home. So I just felt if I had to play basketball, you know, I'd be tied to that and I'd have a huge regret not spending time at home. Um, so I ended up just not playing at all, and I just got an academic scholarship then to 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 go to go to college in America. Um, so that that was my basketball zone for a long time um, until what I came back. At that point, maybe at that point when I made that decision, I was about eighteen. Now in college, I would have kept fairly active, like I would have would have went to the gym and that. And it was it was funny because I didn't know how to 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 work out or without playing basketball. Really, you know, no. I. I 
I didn't know how to, how to be anything other than an athlete. Um, so my sister, had to, she played for her first two years in college and um, now it's friends with all the girls on the basketball team. You know, we'd play pickup sometimes, joke around, but I never played competitively. So for that first time in my life, I didn't have that competitive fix, you know, and my, my only way to kind of get that was to, to, was to work out. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I came home then, I graduated in 2016, came home, played, that year and, and again you know that year 2016 I went to play with uh, Belfast uh, Ulster Rockets with for Brida Dick formerly known as Brida Grinnell and um, she she was coaching division one and I never wanted to play division one I always wanted to play super league because I, I just am that competitive you know I never I want I want to take it very seriously and that year Paul um I mean, like, husband at the moment, not the moment now. Um, <laughs> yeah. He, um, yeah, my current husband. He um, he was playing professionally basketball in Madrid, so you know I knew I was going to be going over there every other week, and you know my mom's health was starting to deteriorate again, and I just knew I wouldn't really have the time to to put in to, to play. And um, I remember Brida had said to me, "Well, you can't marry my son unless you play for me." So I had thought, <laughs> "Okay." I should have uh, I, I so I, I ended up playing and um I, I just I kind of just played for fun then and again I found myself in a position that I'd never been in before because you know basketball for me was never really about the fun of it I love basketball because I was good at it um you know I I I loved that adrenaline rush rush I loved that I needed that competitive fix you know that's probably my dad and me needing that competitive fix yeah but I I, I was I just played for fun and, and I, I never had done that before I didn't take it very seriously you know I trained maybe once or twice a week um and you know we 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 ended up getting to the the semi-final the cup final um and, and we won you know so so, so you so you represent a really interesting I think dy a, a, a dynamic which is uh, sometimes people are really competitive in sport then for some reason maybe they go away from competitive sport mm -hmm. and then the the issue is do you go back to it how do you go back to it or do you go back to competitive sport in a more social form so we'll talk about that but it's funny you should say that your dad you said about your dad being competitive you're you're your dad's daughter uh for people who don't know um you are part of uh, what we would call irish basketball royalty really kelvin troy your dad um who uh, is inducted into the irish basketball uh, hall of fame famously competitive man used to ma used to mark larry bird in his college days and had a brilliant career in, in america um he was the first generation um of black american basketballers to come to ireland and settle in ireland um and it's really interesting that uh, many of their children are now stars in irish sport in in different sports including somebody yeah. like darren randolph in soccer um so um so you had as you said you I mean, basketball is part of your oxygen, right? Yeah. Um, and you get you get a chance to go to America and a scholarship in Utah, in Weber College in Utah. But you had this extremely difficult personal decision and a, and a tussle with yourself yeah. because your mum Anne was ill. Tell us a little bit about about what happened and how did you how did you navigate such a difficult time in your life? Yeah. So I mean, my sister and myself were away in college. Um, we were able to come home a few times a year. Um, and be with her, and, and for for a lot of the time she was in remission. And then when I when I graduated and came home in 2016, it she kind of just took a, a bad turn, and her health was deteriorating. Um, and you know that's when I, I was playing up for Belfast. And I remember I played. I think my last game with them 
was before we broke for Christmas was um, the beginning of December. And over Christmas, my mom had received, you know, a very bad prognosis that she wasn't going to, you know, survive, maybe not even the next few months. Um, so, you know, for me, that was it. I just said, you know, I'm not, I'm not playing anymore. I'm done playing. I'm just going to spend all the time with my mom. And then um, my team, we were in the semi-final um, in Cork. And I remember my mom saying to me, oh, you should go play in the semi-final. And I said, no, I, don't, I haven't played in over a month, mom. I haven't, you know, worked out. I haven't even really eaten. I, I just, I don't, don't want to do it. And um, she said, I'll go on and play and you'll win. And then I, that'll be the last time I see you play. And that will be the final. You make it to the final. I said, right, okay. So I went to play the, play the semi-final. We won. It's a national cup semi-final, yeah. National cup semi-final, yeah. Then we went to play in the final of the cup in the arena. And again, you know, I, I didn't, hadn't played in those previous three weeks and my mom was was really getting bad. And I just said, I, I, I don't want to go out here today. Um, you know, we could have lost my mom any day then. And she said, no, no, go out and play. I want to see you play. It's been my last time I, I see you play. So, you know, for me, basketball was always very family orientated. Um, my mom and dad would have travelled around the whole country watching us play, me and my siblings. I honestly can't recall a time where they weren't, where they weren't there. So basketball for me was quite sentimental um, yeah. with, with having my mom there. She was kind of like, you know, people say, oh, you know, your dad pushed you, your dad pushed you to play. But it was really my mom. You know, my mom was kind of that driving force to, to, to have us play. And she was always that big support there. So not having her there was, was just a bit strange to me. And, and I didn't want, to, didn't want to play without her there. Um, and I'll never forget that day, the, the day of the final in the arena. Um, I actually was about 30 minutes late. I was on Troy time, as, as people would say. Um, <laughs> I was 30 minutes late to my warm-up because before I'd left, my mom kind of took a bit of a turn. And then when she came through, you know, she said to me, should you not already be at the arena by now? And um, so, so I went and I remember getting there and, you know, I was trying to psych myself up and I was, I was just feeling so overwhelmed, you know, obviously because my mom hadn't played in over a month. I didn't know how this was going to go. Um, I, I just, I just obviously was very emotional. And I remember being in the warm up saying, okay, you know, I can do this, you know, just, you'll be fine. Mind over matter. Just, you know, keep going, just block out your tiredness. And about five minutes, I say into the warm up, I was, was definitely feeling it. And I ran over to Paul, to my husband, and I said, you're going to have to get me some Mars bars or some Coke or like some cans of Coke or some fruit pastilles or something to give me a bit of energy. So he went out to the shop and got me something. And, you know, I didn't even start that game because I was sitting on the bench eating the Mars bars, trying to get a bit of energy and trying to psych myself up because, you know, I'm going to have to mark their best players, the American. And I needed to, 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 to dig deep and find that in myself, you know. And then I had the thoughts of, oh, you know, my mom's watching me. I want to play really well. This is her last time watching me play. And, you know, during timeouts or, or anything, I'd be on the bench texting my sister to say, you know, is mom okay? Is she still with us? Is she okay? And I remember calling her at half time. My mom saying, yeah, I'm still here. You know, you're doing great. Keep going. I'll see you when you get home. And, uh, you know, after we won and that was a great celebration. And after the game, we headed straight home. And, you know, my mom kind of took a, a turn for the worse then that night. And she, um, she passed away then two weeks later. And that was the last time I, I played basketball. Wow, I what a trauma. We associate winning and glory and all those things with those big cup finals. But what a traumatic experience to have yeah. and to have to yeah. go through. Um, uh, 
which for some of us sport is the antidote sport is the way we get away from the tough stuff in our lives yeah, but it yeah. struck me that you know it's the escape for us it's the you know it's the time where we can go and put away but but your family and and your mom and your dad were you were so involved at basketball that in some ways that wasn't an escape for you and did that affect your relationship with the game afterwards it did you know like i said my mom for me was that driving force you know i always wanted to to make her proud you know she always would have said to us you know you don't have to live up to to your dad's name you don't have to live up to a standard you know just be yourself just go out there and do your thing and for me she was that motivation and then you know when she wasn't there i just didn't want to play anymore i didn't have the have the drive i didn't have the motivation or to, to play you know it was, wasn't the same for me um you know and that's one thing that you know i think after she passed away i i, I wasn't even active i didn't want to do anything um, and really? i didn't want to i didn't want to work out you know I had lost, I think my average weight's about 147 pounds. And I think I went down to about 121. I think I went from size 12 to like a size six in, you know, just a few months. Um, you know, I, my body, my body was really suffering and my mental health. And I remember just one day I was just said to myself, you know, my body's not going to sustain this living like this. And at the time as well, my dad, his kids transplanted kidney, it was starting to fail again. So he, he was undergoing dialysis treatment. So I kind of, you know, fit myself into that mommy role, which I'd never been in before. You know, that was something new for me. And I was trying to, you know, put everyone else's priorities ahead of mine, make sure everyone else is okay. And I kind of lost time for myself to work out and, yeah. and, and to do things. And yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I remember one day I just said, you know, my body's not going to sustain this. I need to turn this around. Um, you know, I, I think that's, that's one thing that 20 by 20, it, it has inspired me anyway, to just to get out and just do it you know there's this campaign you know it's it's targeted for all women for, of, of all abilities um you know sporty backgrounds or not and um it recognizes the challenges that women face every day and you know it it, it hopes to inspire them just to get out and be active and get moving and that's one thing i, I did see was that there are women that are like me that are maybe in the same situation as me but they're doing it you know, so I said to myself, you know, I need, I need to do this too. I, I need to, I need, I need to turn it around, you know. Because we know in the home um, that, that women, you know, statistically it's shown they do more of the caring. They do more of the work at home. They do all those things. And you sort of yeah. took that on yourself as well, even yeah. within all your grief. Yeah, like, I mean, my sister, she had just got into the RCSI, she just got into med school. I have a younger brother, my other two brothers, you know, they have their own family to be worrying about. And like I said, my dad, you know, he was he was left alone. God love him. So I spent a lot of my time with my dad. You know, I, I think at times Paul probably felt like the third wheel around me and my dad. But yeah, um, your husband. You know, yeah, I, I, yeah. yeah. And um, he my dad has to follow a certain diet as well with his dialysis treatment. So, you know, I spent a lot of my time, you know, trying to get new recipes and cooking for him. So I I, I just felt like it was my duty to do that. And like you said, I think with a lot of women, once they settle down, once they have kids, they put other people's priorities before their own and they kind of forget about their dreams or, or their hobbies, you know, and, and that's definitely what happened to me. Um, yeah. You know, so I, has it changed and when did it change and why did it change? Have you gone back to exercise first of all, which is obviously is again part of your oxygen in, in, up until then? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, for a few months, well, I, I, for probably a year after my mom passed away, I was still grieving. I was still am, but, you know, not to anything the extreme that it was. Um, like I said, I just said to myself, I, I need to fix this. And, you know, for me, it, it's never been about 
um, you know, having that desired body. For me, it's about how working out makes me feel. You know, yeah. I, th I think with all the busy schedules and the hecticness in life and how, un you know, you just feel a bit uncontrollable at times. One thing you can control that I realize is how you treat your body. And, you know, I, 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 I <laughs> I think that I just said to myself, you know, this, I, I just, I have to I have to get back to myself. I have to get back to, to what I know. Um, you know, working out for me, it's when I finish my workout, I feel like I've accomplished something for that day. I feel like I've set my goal and then I reached it. Um, and it just makes you feel good. You know, you, you get that, that adrenaline rush and, yeah. you know, nobody ever worked out and said, oh, I wish I didn't do that. That was terrible for me. You know, yeah. <laughs> you always get the endorphins, no matter how hard the session is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's definitely one thing that I needed um, and, and that I wanted to turn around. So I've probably the last, and then obviously, you know, I had my wedding that was around the corner. So that probably gave me a bit of a push as well to get myself into gear. Um, so that was probably about two years ago. I, I started to become active again. Um, and then having followed this 2020, 20 by 20 campaign before I became involved in it, um, that kind of gave me a bit of inspiration to actually get back and play basketball um, and, and get back to, to, to what I know best and then to, to what I like to do. So are you back playing competitive basketball by now? Well, I hope to be. I hope to be either this season um, or next. I hope to be. Um, so we'll see, we'll see how that goes. And you, you, you're, at what age are you now? You're 27. 27, yeah. Yeah, and I think, I think often men and women, um, we're afraid to go back into competitive sports sometimes as well because we feel, oh, it's for young people or we've let it go too long. Um, so what's encouraged you in that way as well to say, no, I want to go back. I want to be active. I want to be competitive. You know, th th that, that's it. Like it's, again, the 20 by 20 campaign, it's... It, it, it's just great in so many ways. I can't even just to say one thing, but it's it's shown me to to kind of get rid of that internal dialogue of you know you know oh I can't do this or I'm too old for this now or I'm I think I'm past that stage and just say do you know what forget it I'm going for it I'm going to do it um you know the the, the recent chapter of their of the campaign is no proven just moving and yes. that's exactly it I have nothing to prove to anybody I'm doing this for myself I'm just going after it, getting out and doing it. Brilliant, yeah. And um, you said something to me before we start as well. You said something about, um, you know, the notion again as well of that campaign that you like is of, of seeing athletes being put forward. You were saying to me, when you grew up, most of your coaches were, were, were men probably. Um, yeah. uh, you were lucky, obviously, to work with Breed up in, in, uh, in Belfast. But, you know, to have those role models to be able to see them as well, that's been important. And your mum was 40, not in basketball, yeah. but she was very active in other ways. Yeah, oh yeah, she would have always pushed us to be sporty. Um, and that, that's one of the reasons why I joined this campaign was because, you know, like that, when I was younger, my dad coached me, he was my trainer. Outside of him, I only had male coaches. You know, whenever I wanted to go see a basketball game, it was the men's Super League professional games. When I'd watch, you know, the NBA on TV or college games, it'd be my, with my dad and my brothers and they'd all be men's games. So I'm sure there were great female athletes within basketball, but I never saw them. You know, there wasn't that, there wasn't that, the, that a hype around the women, mm -hmm. women basketball. And um, so I didn't really have that role model or anything to, or anybody to look up to. So I think that's why this, this, this campaign is so important. You know, they have the slogan, if she can't see, she can't be. And that's exactly it. Yeah. Um, you were saying to me, your mom was, as I said, she wasn't basketball, but she was very active as well. And she was into, was it Sea Scouts or? or... Yeah, Sea Scouts. And, you know, we kind of used to slag her for that, the Sea Scouts. <laughs> she was a great swimmer and, you know, she would have been into hiking. Now, she did play basketball as well, um, but she always made sure she was very active. 
Um, and then, you know, like most women, they kind of let life get ahead of them. And, you know, kind of late into her 30s, she, she'd kind of stopped being active altogether. Um, she'd go on walks now and then, but she was always running around after us and, and yeah. everybody. And that's kind of another reason why, you know, I said that I, I need to get back being active is because I don't want to die young, really. You know, I don't, I don't want to be unhealthy. I want to be around for my kids. You know, I, I want to, to, to live out my life. You know? Yeah, be fit and strong. Um, yeah. So, uh, so great. We, you were hoping you're hoping to get back on a basketball, get back to the. But most importantly for you, the important thing now is to be back feeling fit and well and be active. Yeah. And I saw Sarah Rose saying the same thing, and she's another ambassador for twenty for twenty. She was saying, you know, for her now in the future, even even though she's involved in very competitive sport, it's actually about how it makes her feel mentally, and yeah. that's really got much more focused on as she gets older. Yeah, oh, definitely. Uh, you know, like I said, after my mom passed away, I suffered big time mentally and physically. And being able to work out, you know, it just it improved all of that. Just improved my overall well being. Like I, it it released the endorphins, helped me relax, helped me feel like myself again. You know. Yeah, as I was saying earlier, um, you featured recently in a beautiful series of anti-racism photographs, portraits done by photographer Ramsey Cardi. You, uh, you were all holding up a message. What was your one? Um, my one was achievement has no color. Right. And why did you take part in that? And why do you feel it's important? Um, you know, for many reasons. Obviously, you know, I I mixed with black and white. Um, I'm proud of both of my heritages, but you know, obviously, I see that there's such an injustice to, to, that it's very one-sided. The injustice, so I think it's really important just to stand up for what you believe in. Um, I think, especially in Ireland, you know, people say that there's no racism in Ireland, and there is. You know, would I label Ireland as a as a racist country? No, I wouldn't. But racism definitely does happen here, and I wanted to show, you know, I wanted to, to educate people and, and see that that right that racism does happen here. Um, I wanted obviously to stand in solidarity with what's going on in America at the moment. Um, and, you know, I don't think in, in Ireland and probably the rest of Europe, we just haven't really been educated on, you know, the twisted and deep oppression of, of black history. Um, and I think the only way to do that is really to try and educate yourself and even just look, look, look in, reflect on yourself and think, you know, why haven't I spoke out on this? Why haven't I maybe posted something on social media? Is it because I don't want to get too political? Is it because I don't think my voice matters? Um, so, you know, it's important to, to address those feelings. And that's why I wanted to do this was to just to show what I feel about it. You know, this, this is what I, what I think. I wanted to voice my opinion. And obviously being part black, it, it holds, you know, very dear to my heart. And what has been your experience? Have you, have you ever experienced direct racist comment? in your life yeah oh yeah um you know i think again in ireland people you know th their banter is very passive uh, passive um casual racism. yeah 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 and they they think you know it's all this banter but you know it's at whose expense you know um i think my first experience with racism i was only six and i was in senior inference and i threw my apple into the bin and i remember my teachers telling me um, you know, get that out, out of the bin and eat it. Your your people in Africa are starving for that. And um, you know, oh. to say it to six to say it to a six year old, it was just it was awful. You know, growing up my mom would have put my hair in like little bandu knots or little twists, which I loved. And you know, some people in class in my school would say to me, Oh, your hair looks like little turds, you know, it look just it looks like little turds. And you know, if I would say something back, I remember, you know, again, I am my father's daughter and I'm very 
very quick with the with the L's. I find it hard to hold my tongue at times. And um, you know, I would say back, yeah, well, I mean, your hair looks like piss, or your hair looks stupid, and you know, then I'd get in trouble for saying that. But you know, I would say, well, you know, they just told me my hair looks like look like looks like turds, and you know, you haven't said anything to them, and they said, oh, you know, Marion, like they're just joking, you know. Everything was always kind of just a joke. Um, just, you know, just everyday microaggressions, you know, people saying, well, where are you really from? Uh, you couldn't be Irish or, you know, is, all, is that all your hair? Is all your hair real? Sure, don't, don't all women, don't all black women have wigs and aren't all black women bald? Um, you know, just those things like that. And, you know, people have said to me before, because um, my sister, well, all my siblings are probably a little bit lighter skinned than me and they have kind of like a ready tint in their hair, I guess, for my mom. I'm the only one. Yeah, mom, yeah, mom is a redhead. Yeah, she was. Yeah, red hair, green eyes, as pale as anything. And, um, you know, they'd say, oh, do you have the same dad? And we'd say, yeah, yeah, you know, we'd same dad. Oh, where's he from? Oh, he's from New Jersey in, in the States, in America. Oh, and do you ever get to see him? And I'm thinking, yeah, you know, like I live with him. I see him every day. And, uh, you know, then the next thing is, oh, no, you know, I didn't mean to offend. It's just sometimes you don't really see the black guy kind of stick around. And you're just wow. thinking, you know, and, and at times I think, especially in Ireland, like I said, it's, it's a bit of an ignorance. You kind of find yourself you know, a bit, how do I react to this? You know, do I get angry? Do I, you know, stay calm? Do I say anything at all? And I think, especially if in Ireland, being a black person, I think sometimes when people, well, for me, in my experience anyway, when people say things, um, you know, just out of maybe curiosity, I don't think there's any malice behind what they say. Um, but again, it's that feeling of, you have to stand up for what you believe and you have to stand up for yourself because if you don't stand up for, 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 for yourself, you know, you, you kind of go home and you feel, oh, I, I didn't stand up for myself or I, I, I didn't say this or, you know, I, I really should have corrected them when they said that. Like, I remember a lady in my office one time, she said she was watching a movie about the Negroes. And you know, I just laughed and I said, you can't, you can't say Negroes, you know, you just say black people, like, it's okay, you know, you shouldn't say Negroes. And, you know, I, I was happy that I addressed that situation. Um, but And, she, and she probably came from a generation where that was the acceptable yeah. phrase to you. Oh yeah, and yeah, she, no she, she definitely has, yeah. And like I said, I know this woman, there's no miles behind what she said, yeah. but I could have chosen to take that the totally different way, you know? Yeah. Um, a few weeks back there, I was in a, a kitchen showroom and, um, you know, I, I went to the showroom, I knew everything, all the measurements, everything that I wanted. And um, I saw this man and he, he, he worked there and he was helping everybody. He was really pleasant to everybody. He was really nice, you know? very knowledgeable so I said right I'm gonna to go to him he knows what he's talking about so I waited for him to deal with a few people and I went up to him and I got a total different response total different action great reaction he was very rude he made me feel like I didn't I was a bit of an idiot really to be honest he um didn't wasn't even really looking at me when I was speaking to him um just really not not, not nice and then I was kind of talking to myself okay well maybe he's maybe he missed his lunch and maybe he got he got it he's just not really having yeah. a great day so then I saw people behind me go up to him these two women and he's like, you know, just, he was more than happy to help them. Um, and, you know, they kind of said, I remember I heard them say to him, sorry, you know, we don't really know a lot about kitchens. We don't really have any measurements. And he said, oh, that's fine. You know, that's what I'm here for. I'm happy to help you. It's my pleasure. And I remember standing there thinking, you know, I don't want to be labeled now as this, you know, the stereotype of, of that angry black lady in the shop, you know? Yeah. And like I said, you find yourself in this position where it's like, should I say something? Should I not say something? you know, I want to stand up for myself. I don't want to have this feeling of being disappointed and being ashamed. So I remember I literally stood in the shop, I'd say for 10 minutes thinking, will I, won't I, will I, won't I? And I just said, oh, you know, 
forget it. My mom always told me, just pick your battles, you know, not everything deserves a reaction. So I just said, whatever, got my car and I headed home. And I actually turned back around on the roundabout to say, no, I'm going back to say something to this man. And uh, that's probably the Calvin Troy in me again, you know, can't hold my tongue. But, um, well, it's Mimi started, Troy in you as well. <laughs> Mimi Troy, yeah. So then I just said, no, no, I'll leave it, I'll go back. And I, and I got home and I remember Paul, my husband, saying to me, as soon as I walked in, he said, you know, what happened? And I remember just bursting into tears and I just felt like, I was so, so disappointed in myself and I just felt so ashamed that I just didn't stand up for myself and that I didn't stand up for, you know, not obviously all black lives, but for, for what I represent. And, and that's, that's what it is to be, to be black but and Irish. The shame is on him, Mimi. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. But it's I'm a difficult. It's diff. It must be so difficult. I mean, you're you're an accountant. You're a mature twenty-seven-year-old. You've been around the world. Um, you know, you're in a good position, as you say, to know how to stand up for yourself. But yet, it's so difficult because yeah. he hasn't said anything outward, and yet yeah. you know where he. You think he's coming from? Oh, definitely, definitely. And and I said, I said to Paul, I do think maybe I'm just thinking this because of you know the current situation that's going on and I told him what happened and he was like no that man definitely was discriminating against you you know and you know I just it, it's those little things that you have to deal with in, in Ireland um, and I guess anywhere you go in the world but because I am black and I am, have white and black in me I, I, I do I do see how people look at me different I, I don't I don't you know I don't classify myself as black I classify myself as mixed race but unfortunately, that's not how the world sees me. They see me as black, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's an extraordinary um, education for us with white privilege to hear, you know, in 2020, in July 2020. That's yeah. how people are still behaving. It's just shocking. Um, yeah. It always struck me, and it's one of the things I loved about basketball um, always, all my life, was um, that in Ireland, it is it has traditionally been a diverse, a diverse place um, yeah. for athletes since the 1970s I really went as I said the generation um, of uh, black American men came over to play in Ireland and many of them settled um, it, uh, and we've had international players coming in and out all the time of mixed races it's a very diverse uh, yeah. community I think Irish basketball so yeah. did you ever encounter any racism in it? No, no to be honest like in, within basketball no um, now I know some of my friends of the African community they they have have to have some stories to tell me, um, and I know some of the some of the examples that I've given you, you know, are very light compared to what other people have gone through. You know, some of my friends oh. have had stones thrown at them; they've been called the N word repeatedly. Um, but in basketball, no, and maybe maybe it's because I didn't play, you know, get a football or I didn't play soccer, you know, where there might be less yes. um, less hype less around African American yeah. players, yeah. you know, less diverse. Yeah, and um, I think in basketball, people have you know, their idols and people they look up to are the likes of Kobe Bryant and, you know, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, that, and they are black people. So they would probably find it very hard to be racist, you know? Yeah, well, yeah, but it, but we see it, as I say, I often notice it, like, you still see in English football, for example, where yeah. their, you know, their team has loads of black players, they're supporting them, and then they turn around and they can be racist to one of the black players. I just never, yeah. I can't get my head about it. Um, that's very true you, yeah yeah and your your family is mormon you're all mormon which i never knew until we started this interview which is really interesting yeah. to me um yeah. and you went to college in america and did you encounter even in college in america did you encounter racism um i think because utah was probably because again it is a quite religious state people are probably a bit more accepting 
Um, most of the black people at my school were athletes and they played football or basketball or baseball or whatever. Um, there was a lot of, you know, Hispanic people as well in Utah um, and there's a lot of Pacific Islanders. So it, it was, even though it was mainly white, it was quite diverse. Um, again, I remember before I went to America, my dad would say to us, you know, you're definitely going to know your color when you get to America. Um, and, and one thing that I, that I noticed about America was that people identified somebody else by their color. Like when we were, in, when, I'm, when I was living in Ireland, I would never say, oh, you know, that white girl or that, yes. you know, I would, yeah. I would just say, oh, you know, that girl with blonde hair, the girl, or she that wears dub. Yeah. Yeah, or that dub, <laughs> yeah. Um, but whereas in America, they'd say, oh, you know her, like she's that white girl with this, or they'd say, oh, you know that she's a black girl or she's that Mexican girl. And I really kind of just said, Oh, okay, this is how people are identifying people like by the color of their skin and by their race. Okay, like I and I actually found myself then doing it only when I came home. My mom said, Would you stop doing that? And you know, you're identifying people by by their race. Like, well, where'd you pick that up? Kind of, you know, um, interesting, and, and, you know, I, huh? That's very interesting, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and, and again, you know, people because me and my sister, we 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 do look very different. Again, she has a red hair, she's a bit of a paler skin than I do. People would say. You know, do you do you have the same parents? Are, are you from the same family and, and stuff? So again, just those microaggressions, even though they they lived in America, um they they had the history, they knew the history behind behind uh, behind black history. Um, you know, they still had some things to say sometimes. Um just ignorance, really, just ignorance. So what's your what's as we finish up, what's your best advice for us who, as I said, who have white privilege, who 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 probably, you know, in our language, um, even still maybe, you know, get it wrong. What's your best advice for us to support um, people of, of colour in this country? Um, well, like I said earlier, like I think you just have to re reflect on yourself and think, OK, you know, what can I do to help this problem? Do I even want to help this problem? Um, you know, if, if I don't. You know, then you need to address that as, as to why you don't want to help. Um, you know, I mean, there's loads of petitions you can sign, you know, just create awareness around it for other people to, to see, mm. um, you know, if, if you're in your friend group and you think somebody is, you know, being racist, call them out because otherwise it's not going to change. If, if, if you sit there and you be silent, you know, you're, 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 you're adding to, to, to that. Um, you know, like I said earlier, you have to, I think in order to, to become educated to, or to even have some sort of empathy towards towards black people and towards a minority in Ireland you kind of just have to educate yourself and just really really take the time to read about it um or, or even ask questions like I've had some friends text me and say you know I'm really sorry have I ever been racist have I ever done this you know and, and I said no you know definitely not because I probably would call you out and if you if you were but that's a good sign of, that's a healthy sign oh definitely yeah I've, I've honestly I probably had over 50 people text me or Instagram me and say you know, oh, I never knew this happened to you. I never knew this even happened. You know, have, have I just been living under a rock this whole time? Um, so, so people definitely are willing to, willing to listen and unwilling to change and, and willing to, to bring awareness to it, you know, which is great. Really well, is. the consciousness, it's like a, a completely far more serious topic, but the consciousness of it, like, and the education of it um, is growing, definitely. Yeah. And you're doing a similar job, um, not just for that as well, but as I said, for the 20 by 20 movement. Finally, why do you feel it's important, this notion of no proving, just moving? No proving, just moving. I think it's a great message to get across. Um, I think especially as women, a lot of the time we... You know, we see the Instagram models, we see the fitness models, and we think, oh, you know, I want to look like that. But it's not about that. It's about how you feel. You know, you've nothing to lose by going out there and taking that first step. You know, you've nothing to prove to anybody, just to yourself. You're doing this for yourself, and that's it. 
um, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. You know, it, it, it will yeah. take time. It will take time um, to, to, to get to that. But it's just, I just would urge anybody to get out there and just get moving. You know, if you don't want to play sport, you know, go for a walk, go for a cycle. If you do a Zumba class, if you love to dance. Um, but I promise you, it will really make all the difference, you know, mentally, physically, your overall well-being. It's, it's you know, being physically active is probably the best gift um, you, can, you can give your body. It really well, is. Well, Mimi, Mimi Troy, that's a great way to finish. Thanks so much for joining us on Off the Bench. Thanks really appreciate it. Um, just before we finish up, just a reminder to people um, that you can find all our previous episodes on iTunes or on offtheball.com. And even if you want to use their app now, they have a great podcast series link in there and you'll find all the Off the Benches in there. Um, and we, we hope to be talking to you again soon. Thanks again, Mimi. Thank you. See ya. That was an Off The Ball Podcast Network presentation.